invite you to turn tonight in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Luke, chapter 7, where we have uh, one of my favorite stories uh, in Scripture, um, in the Gospels, uh, the story of a sinful woman forgiven. Luke, chapter 7, we're going to begin reading at verse 36 through to the end of the chapter. give our attention to God's word tonight as um, as Luke of course he's writing to Theophilus um, and and uh, trying to uh, encourage Theophilus in the faith and uh, and he's encouraging us in the faith as he shows us the beauty of Jesus let's begin verse 36 one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. (coughs) But she who is forgiven little, he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, tonight I pray that you give us eyes to see the wonder of Jesus. And Lord, open our eyes. In a, we can easily be just cynical and we're used to the gospel and we're comfortable with our sin. And we fail to see the sheer beauty and glory of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that tonight you, you would just help us then by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our text tonight, we have three figures in front of us, three characters, uh, and the entire story revolves around them. We have a, a sinful woman, uh, we have a self-righteous Pharisee, and we have Jesus, the Savior of sinners. And I'd like to just go right into the story as uh, it's a gripping story. Uh, you can easily imagine it and see it in your mind's eye. Uh, we're told about a dinner party. Uh, one of the Pharisees, a man we learn, his name is Simon. 
uh, invited Jesus over to his house. This would happen from time to time. And uh, Jesus went to Simon's house and reclined at the table. Boys and girls in those days, um, when people sat down to eat, they didn't pull up a chair and sit by a table, but there would be a, there would be a place laid out in the middle of the room or, 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 or the area, and, and people would recline. They would sort of lay down by the, by the table, resting on one elbow and then eating with, with the other. And so their, their legs, their, their bodies sort of angling away from the table. And that's how, and they would just, just uh, discuss and talk and eat and fellowship in that way. Well, uh, Jesus is, uh, is at this dinner party and a woman shows up. Uh, that, would be not, uh, that would be somewhat shocking in and of itself. Uh, women were not invited to these sorts of parties. This was a religious discussion. Women didn't eat with men at all anyhow, but this would be a particularly... Um, well, it's, it's clear that this Pharisee had invited Jesus to talk about religious matters. Women were considered not to be interested in religious matters, certainly were not invited to share their opinion in religious matters, um, and so it would be a surprise that she was there at all. But it's particularly a surprise because she is a woman of ill repute. We're told that she's a woman of the city, uh, a known sinner. We're not told the exact nature of her sin. It is, it is uh, most likely that it is sexual sin of some sort. So it's possible that she was a prostitute in the city. Uh, it's possible that she had uh, had an affair in the past, had committed adultery. Uh, maybe she was pregnant out of wedlock. Any of those things would have irredeemably placed her in the eyes of the community in the category of a sinner. Once once a woman had committed a sin like that, there's no, there's no uh, way out. There's no way to restore your reputation. Uh, this is now, for the rest of her life, she would be known as a sinner, a scandalous woman. Someone to be despised, someone to be avoided. She's an example of, of what happens when you sin. And so that is the banner over her head. That's the mantle on her shoulders. That's, she's got the big A right, on her forehead. Now, it's hard for us, living as we do in a culture that is shameless, there's almost nothing in our culture that brings shame anymore, um, but there are cultures in the world that are shame-based, I mean, that are honor-based cultures, where honor and reputation is everything. A, uh, Phil Riken shared a letter that he had received from a woman in the Middle East, a Christian woman. Uh, the Middle East being yet an honor culture, and she wrote this. She says, I'm not sure one can really begin to grasp how shocking this story truly is unless one has spent enough time in the Middle East. The worst sin a woman can commit is to have lost or even to appear to have lost her virginity outside of marriage. The most important asset a woman has is her reputation. The whole honor of her family hangs on it. If a woman has nothing but her reputation as a chaste woman, she always has a chance to succeed. If she has everything but her reputation, she is lost before she begins. This is a lost woman, a lost cause. Um, the community has written her off, not just as an immoral person, but a person uh, that has no chance of entering into the kingdom of heaven. There's no path for her to, uh, to go to, to live with Abraham. The kingdom of God is 
irrevocably closed to her because she has sinned and she cannot redeem herself. Well, this woman shows up at Simon's dinner party. It's clear that um, she is a believing woman. She's a believing woman. She's, she somehow heard about Jesus. Uh, very likely, Jesus, as he went around, we know that he was preaching, and the crowds were gathered to him. And it's very likely that this woman had been a part of that crowd and had heard Jesus preach, had heard Jesus speak the grace, uh, of the grace of God. And so there's evidences in the text that strongly suggest that she's already then come to a saving faith in Jesus. Uh, notice she doesn't stumble upon this dinner party or stumble upon Jesus being there. She, she clearly has heard that he was eating at Simon's house and she intentionally then makes her way to Simon's house. And she's prepared herself for this meeting with Jesus. She has brought an alabaster uh, jar of ointment she knows who he is. She knows what he's about. And she believes in him already at some level. She understands somehow that Jesus is a friend of sinners. She has to understand that or she never would have gone there. Not to thank him, not to worship. And there's also evidence that her faith is sincere in, in that uh, by going to Simon's house, she's going into the lion's den in a sense. You just got to imagine the incredible courage it would take for her to enter into a Pharisee's house. She knows exactly what Simon and all the other men in that room think of her. She knows that they despise her. She knows that they think she has no part with God. That she's a reprobate. She knows what they think. And the room, as I said, would have been full of men. There are no friendly faces. It just takes incredible courage for her to enter into that room. So why does she do it? Why does she walk into that, into that room full of all the, the self-righteous hatred and religious scorn that she's going to experience there? You can imagine the way the men that see her uh, look at her, scolding her with their eyes for sure. Why is she there? Well, she there, she's there because she has to be there. She has to be there. She has to, to respond to this man Jesus. She has to honor him in, in some way. She's got to uh, communicate to Jesus in some way how she feels about him, what she, what she thinks about him. And so she, she comes with her jar of ointment and she she's identifies Jesus sitting there at uh, reclining there by, by the table. She, she has it all planned. She's, she's prepared. She's got her ointment. She's planned this out. She, she goes to anoint his feet. She's got it all worked out in her mind, I think, except the tears. I don't think she planned on the tears. The, the Greek word here for weeping is a very strong word. It's, it's the strongest. It's the word of, of sobbing. Tears are pouring down this woman's face. She's, she's gripped with weeping. Her nose is probably starting to run. She's a mess, her mascara, right? right? She's, it's all coming apart at Simon's dinner party. And the question, of course, on everyone's mind is, why is this woman crying? 
What's wrong with her? Why is, why is she, she, she's not sniffling, she's sobbing. What's going on in this woman? And, and the answer, of course, is she's weeping with gratitude and joy. She's, you know, it's interesting about people, about humans, that we laugh when we're happy. We laugh at a joke. But if we receive some overwhelming, unexpected amazing gift, something that we've, we've deeply longed for, never expected, and we receive that, we cry. I'm sure you've seen uh, videos online of, um, of soldiers uh, returning home secretly and, and their, their daughter, maybe she's at school and, and suddenly dad is there. And what does the little girl do? Does she go, dad, wow, man, it's so nice to see you. No. She runs and embraces him and starts bawling her eyes out. I saw a video of a woman who had been deaf her whole life and the doctors figured out a way that she would be able to hear and she's in the doctor's office and her husband is standing there and so the doctor turns on the device and says to, nods to the husband to say something and the husband begins speaking and this woman just clasps her hands to her face and begins weeping. For the first time in her life, she heard her husband's voice. It just happens over and over and over again. That's, that's what's going on. This woman has received an amazing gift. An unexpected, completely unexpected, and yet most deeply yearned for, desired gift. Well, what did she receive? What had Jesus given her? Well, Jesus hadn't given her anything. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the gift. She senses, she, she, she's come to believe that in Jesus, she has received grace and forgiveness and cleansing and a door open into the presence of God and into the kingdom of God. That's why she's weeping. She's weeping because she knows, she believes that she's been made miraculously, completely unexpectedly right with God. This past week in... Um, in a high school theology class, I showed, again, uh, this clip. I, I do it just about every year, I think. I never get tired of it. It's on the Christian Explored website. I posted it uh, in the pastor's post this week, and um, you can go and find it there, Christian uh, Explored. It's the story of Deb, this young woman who was high on, on, on drugs, and um, <laughs> she was trying to uh, get her... Um, her heroine ready to shoot it up, looking for matches in her boyfriend's house. Instead, she finds a Gideon Bible and, and, and begins reading this Bible and realizes she's in tremendous trouble with God. And, and so she ends up finding a church, and it's Good Friday. And the minister there is reading the story of Jesus dying on a cross. And she says, I just, I knew, I just knew that he was dying for me, for my sin. And she just begins weeping, weeping, sobbing there in church. She says, I sobbed and I sobbed knowing that he had died on the cross for me, for my sin. This incredible unexpected gift that God would love us this way, that he would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Well, this sinful woman is, is in that place and, and 
expressing that sort of emotion. And then she does the most astonishing, unexpected, and scandalous thing that any, anyone there could have imagined. She lets her hair down and begins to, to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. It, again, and this is an honor culture. In an honor culture, it was considered a shameful thing for a woman to expose her hair in public. Um, There would have been no greater punishment under Jewish law than if she had removed her clothing. It's the same punishment. Her hair is considered her glory, her beauty, and it is for her husband's eyes and her husband's eyes alone. The Talmud went so far as to say that a man could divorce his wife for showing her hair to another man. And so here is this well-known sinful woman, this scandalous woman, doing this scandalous thing, and you know that every man in that room would have been shocked at her brazen disregard for public decorum and social mores and, and for holiness, godliness. What in the world is this woman doing? Well, the answer, of course, is she's worshiping. She's weeping and sobbing. Wet. Jesus' feet are wet with her tears. And, and as, she's, as she's wiping them dry and kissing his feet, this woman is worshiping. She has no regard for what other people might think or what other people might say. She is overwhelmed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. She's willing to expose herself in the presence of the grace of God. You see, she's willing to be seen for what she is. She is a sinner. She is a sinner. She needs divine favor, but by the grace of God, she's found it. In Jesus Christ, she's found it. And so... She's lost in her love, in her delight and worship of her Lord. When you see this woman, and maybe it makes you think of King David back in, in 2 Samuel as they're bringing the ark back, and, and David loses all decorum. He begins to dance with joy at the grace of God that would allow the ark to be returned and, and, and dances naked. And his wife, Michael, sees it and despises him. And that's, of course, the response of the Pharisees in the room as well. That's how they respond to this worshiping woman. Simon particularly, verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon, uh, well, he figured that he's seen everything he needed to see. He, he had invited Jesus over uh, to get to know him. Simon, I'm sure, saw himself as a fair-minded man. Uh, other uh, of his friends, his Pharisee friends, were grumbling about Jesus. And Simon wanted to give Jesus a fair shake. He wanted to let Jesus sort of prove himself. He's a fair man. And so he had Jesus over to the house to, to examine him, to get to know him. Um, well, he'd seen enough. Uh, there, there didn't need to be any more questions. Simon had seen all that he needed to see to know that Jesus is no prophet of God. If Jesus were a prophet of God, he would know exactly who this person and what kind of person she is. And of course, the unspoken thing would be, he would never allow this woman to touch him. If, if, if Jesus were a prophet of God, he would have rebuked this woman immediately. Proving his religious credentials. Proving how, uh, how, that he was a righteous man. A holy man. So Simon knows who the woman, the woman is. He knows what she is. 
And now he knows who Jesus is. In his own mind, he's convinced Jesus is a fraud, a charlatan. Uh, at, best, at best, Jesus is just ignorant. At worst, he doesn't care about the law of God. So either way, uh, he's, he's got it all figured out. Simon is absolutely convinced. There's no talking him out of it. He, he, he's surveyed the scene and he's uh, rendered his judgment. Jesus is a, is a fraud. <clears throat> it's really a stunning story of the incredible, impenetrable blindness of self-righteousness. You can imagine Simon sitting there smugly thinking about uh, how he's going to share this with his Pharisee friends. He's going to let them know what happened and, and what he now knows to be true about Jesus. He's already anticipating the shocked look on their faces when he tells them what this, this audacious woman had, had done, her brazen display of impropriety. And, and they would shake their heads with admiration for the way that Simon had so astutely um, summed up the scene and, and instinctively came to this uh, impeccable decision that Jesus is a fraud. It was going to be a good day tomorrow. And then Jesus woke him up from his reverie with a question. Verse 40. This is, this is wonderful. You know, Simon is thinking these things in his mind, right? I know who this guy is. And Jesus answering him said, answering his thoughts said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. You can almost hear the smug, pompous, self-righteous, arrogance, and assurance of this guy. Say it, teacher. There's nothing that Jesus can say from this point forward that's going to move Simon. Uh, he's made up his mind. He's come to his, his decision. But Jesus has a story to tell. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. <clears throat> uh, Simon seems a little confused by the question. Uh, his qualified answer, uh, I suppose... Uh, seems to say, uh, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Uh, he maybe looked at his, at his buddies, his Pharisee buddies, and rolled his eyes. Um, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. But in Simon's mind, why, the issue, why is Jesus ignoring the glaring scandal in the room by asking this irrelevant, odd question? Why doesn't Jesus deal with the issue there at his feet? The, the scandal happening right in front of him. Well, Jesus is dealing with the scandal right in front of him, and that scandal is, is Simon. Simon's self-righteous, unloving, unforgiving heart is actually the glaring uh, scandal in the room, the, the scandal that God most despises. And Jesus asked him this devastating question. You see, it was, it was just customary in social custom that when you invited someone into your house, uh, you would meet them at the door, you would place your hand on their shoulders and draw them close, and you would kiss them on both cheeks. 
Uh, you would offer them uh, either a servant to wash their feet or you would offer them water where they could wash their own feet. You would also offer them some oil so they could uh, smooth and, and just refresh in their face and their hair, their head. Uh, this is just basic hospitality. It's what you do uh, to honor your guest. Well, Simon has answered his question, uh, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt, and Jesus says to him, you have judged rightly. And then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> yeah. Of course he saw the woman. Everybody saw the woman. What this wicked sinner was doing. Everyone, how could you miss it? And then Jesus says, I entered your house. Your house, Simon. And you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus eviscerates this man of his glaring, scandalous lack of hospitality. Simon is being completely um, exposed in his own home as a man who does not love his guests, and for specifically a man who does not care for Jesus. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You see, in this story, can you imagine being there? I mean, this, this is just uh, this is a conversation... It would have been so incredible to hear this. And just, I mean, the drama is so rich. The irony is incredible. Because Jesus, in a moment, exalts the sinner, praises the sinner, holds her up as an example, someone to, 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 to follow after in that sense. And he exposes the truth about Simon. See, Simon thought in his religious pride, Simon thought that the woman had been exposed as a sinner and Jesus had been exposed as a fraud. But the truth is that Simon is exposed and in the most shameful and devastating way, not just as a failure uh, as a host, but as a man who's not been forgiven. A man who's unforgiven, a man who is still in his sin, a man who is an enemy of God. The glaring scandal in the room is Simon. And so the question now suddenly shifts. Everyone in the room, of course, has been wondering, why is this woman acting like this? But now at the words of Jesus, suddenly the question is, why did Simon act like this? Why doesn't Simon love Jesus? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. It's a very important question. Why don't people love Jesus? How could we not love Jesus, the Son of God, the man who, who cared more for people and showed more compassion and mercy for, for sinners like us than, than any man ever possibly could? 
the man who came actually to rescue us from ourselves. How could we not love Jesus? Well, why doesn't Simon love Jesus? And, and the answer in the short parable is because Simon hasn't been forgiven. He hasn't been forgiven. He doesn't love because he hasn't experienced the love of God. He hasn't experienced the grace of God. Well, why hasn't Simon experienced the grace of God? Why doesn't, why doesn't Simon have a relationship uh, with God of, that, that this woman has, a relationship that, that, that flows out into uh, acts of adoration and worship and weeping? Why doesn't Simon have that? Well, the answer is because Simon didn't think he needed it. Simon was a good Christian. Simon was a Pharisee. He didn't need grace. He didn't need mercy. He doesn't need compassion. He just needs his reward. He's been keeping the rules. He's been following the law. He's been doing it right. He just needs, he just needs God now to, to give him what he has coming to him. you have any idea how many people are in the church with exactly that attitude? They go to church and they, they keep the rules they try to live a good life. And they never really ask themselves, why don't I love Jesus? Why, why don't I ever weep in the presence of Jesus? Or, or why isn't there in, within me this, 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 this adoration, this, this desire to know him and, and to worship him? Why isn't that there? Well, one of the reasons might very well be because we just haven't faced our sin. Has it ever, have you ever noticed that, that the people who are the most ardent lovers of Christ are those who are the most aware of and honest about the reality of their sin? Those are the ones who are mo the most astonished by grace. If, if you've never read uh, um, Tony Ranke's book on John Newton, I just highly recommend it to you. Because you, you get to meet a man who was amazed by grace. Of course, he's the author of the hymn. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch like me. I remember going, uh, when I was in seminary, I went to San Quentin Prison, and we went to visit the men who were there for life. And, uh, and we, went, we met with men who um, were some of the most ardent lovers of Jesus I've ever met. Nothing to hide. No, no pretense. They were desperate sinners who had done desperate wicked things, and yet they had discovered the grace, the free grace of God in Jesus Christ, and the joy abounded from their life. Friends, this is a story that just asks us maybe to examine ourselves. Do we love Jesus? If your love for Christ has grown dim, and it does, doesn't it? From time to time, we, we don't just abound. But isn't it true that when we've lost our love for Christ, that we for, either have we forgotten the greatness of our sin, or we've just not been able to embrace the reality of his amazing grace? This woman was absolutely convinced of the reality of her sin, but she was equally convinced of the glory of amazing grace, that somehow God was willing and able to save her and to save her to the uttermost. And her faith is, is solid, it's sealed in the words of Jesus, and we need to hear those words as well. Notice the text ends, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Right there in front of everybody. 
The most, in the, in, the, in the eyes of the people in the room, her sins, the most grotesque sins, the most shaming sins, they're forgiven by God. Gone. Never to be recounted. No more condemnation. Have you heard the Lord say that to you recently? Through His Word and by His Spirit. Your sins are forgiven. All of them. In Christ, as you confess them, your sins are forgiven. So that there's nothing between you and and, and all the love and favor of God in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You are loved. There's no more condemnation. You are the Father's precious child. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Fully reconciled to God. Fully uh, confident of His smiling face on your life. Can you, could you do that this week? Could you live this week confident of the smiling face of God in your life? Because you are forgiven in Jesus Christ? And could you take that truth, that reality, into your all, uh, your moments, into your relationships? That, that God has spoken to you in His Word and by His Spirit as you, come to, as you come to Jesus as a sinner needing grace, Jesus says to you, you are forgiven. Go in peace. Be confident of the favor the grace, the love of your God forever. May God grant it. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you know us, you know our thoughts, just like you knew Simon's. But I thank you, Lord, you've given us the grace to see our sin, to see all the ways that we have rebelled against you and gone our own way. We've trampled your law, we've, we've ignored your love, we've sinned against your kindness and your patience. And yet, Lord Jesus, we come just like this sinful woman, believing that you are willing and able to forgive us, to give us peace with God, all because of your love and your grace. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to a cross to purchase this gift for us. And I pray, Jesus, that we would never get tired of worshiping you because of your your gift and your kindness to us. And Father, I, I, I pray that if there be any in the room tonight that have never really confessed their sin, they they've been in they've been in church, they've been good people, but they've never they've never identified with the with a wicked woman, I pray, Lord, that you'd give them the grace to do exactly that and to love Jesus as they never have as they, as they receive the unexpected, amazing gift of forgiveness. And Father, I, I pray that for all of us, we would, we would just grow in our love for Christ. The one who loved us and gave his life for us. And that we could then, Lord, in light of of his love and in the shadow of the cross, we could walk this week with Jesus' benediction on our life. Go in peace. We've been saved by grace through faith. And all the glory goes to you. But may the joy be ours. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's stand together. We're going to sing Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. After the benediction, we'll conclude with the song, There is a Redeemer. Thank you, O my Father. Now receive the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.